Welcome back to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish and Saturday's Notre Dame-USC game, which kicks off 7.30 Eastern time on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by my game day sports beat co-host. We'll be on the air from 4 until 6.30 Eastern time as we get you set for the Irish and the men of Troy. Tyler Horka joins me here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, I guess it's fair to say, Tyler, in the second half, the weather outside was frightful, and, and so was Boston College. My heavens. It's great that no one in the media, including yourself, had to ask Marcus Freeman about playing to the level of the opponent. That was a whooping on Saturday. Yeah, they weren't any good before the snow arrived, and they definitely <laughs> weren't any good after it. I just wrote in an article that I put up at blueandgold.com an hour or two ago that Boston College stopped throwing the ball with 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they possessed it a couple times thereafter because Notre Dame was just going three and out at that point, three rushes, get off the field. But Boston College had a couple chances there at the end, and they said, hey, this is a lost day. We're not even going to try. We have this redshirt freshman Quarterback Emmett Moorhead, who has been pretty good for us in the last couple of games, 31 points against Duke, 21 points, and the win against the ranked NC State team, and they just gave up. It was that type of day, though. I think Notre Dame sucked the life out of Boston College in the first half with what we've seen from this Notre Dame team the last month or two. Great running the football, pretty stout defensively, getting off the field defensively, and it was just one of those those games, like you said, Darren, where – you just hoped that Notre Dame would not play down to the level of a 3-7 and team, even if they were coming off of that ranked win against NC State. Everything was lined up for Notre Dame to be able to run the ball, put points on the board early, play with the lead, which it has been very good doing this season, and it played out that way. And then the, in the second half when the snow came, that just made it a little fun for everybody. Not much happened in that second half. I mean, Notre Dame only scored – seven of its 44 points in that second half, but I think that's kind of the way that game will be remembered. One, for a 44-point margin of victory, and two, for how fun it was for Notre Dame to get to that point because I wrote this at blueandgold.com and in our magazine, Blue and Gold Illustrated as well. When the snow came, you looked down at the two sidelines, and I had a great vantage point of both of them from the press box. One of them was jumping around saying, yeah, bring it on, let it snow, let it snow. The other was like, are you kidding me? this is the score, and we've got to sit here through this now with the wind and the snow and all that. And I, I think you can tell which was which. Well, it gave Phil Jakovic more time to post things on social media, I guess, if he was bored <laughs> in the second half. But I'll, I'll tell you what, Tyler, after the first month and a half of the season where the Irish defense was playing well, but they just couldn't come up with a turnover, they weren't playing the ball in the air very well, I can't believe this is the same season. They're creating more turnovers than Martin Supermarkets right now. Yeah, for sure. And uh, one guy has a lot to do with that, doesn't he? His name is Benjamin Morrison. He's a true freshman. And, and that's kind of what you didn't foresee in September and even in early October was, okay, Notre Dame's not getting any turnovers. They have all of these guys. Shouldn't Isaiah Foskey be forcing some fumbles? Maybe Jason Adam Alola on the back end. Shouldn't Brandon Joseph be coming up with picks? Maybe Cam Hart in his senior season, uh, he hasn't really been one to intercept the ball in his career, but maybe he comes up with a couple interceptions. 
They find this guy named Benjamin Morrison who has five INTs in the last three mm. games. Wow. They've been really big ones, too, against Clemson. I, I don't – maybe Notre Dame still wins if it doesn't have Ben Morrison in that game, but he hand-gifted 14 points and a 21-point margin of victory. Uh, he set up Notre Dame to score a touchdown, and then he obviously took matters into his own hands and returned one of those interceptions for a touchdown. And then in this game, they would have still won without Benjamin Morrison, but again, you don't win by 44 points without him. He intercepts the ball in the end zone. He intercepts the ball. I mean, he was picking off passes from anywhere. It didn't matter. If you threw at him, he was going to get to the ball, and that's what Notre Dame was missing earlier in the year. I remember a conversation we had where Notre Dame was down there with the like, and, and I think that it is still a statistic which shows you how important Ben Morrison is, that Notre Dame is way down there with Charlotte, number 130 and number 131 in passes defended this season. And that could still be the case. I think the last time I checked it was either a week or two ago and they were still down there. But now you have a guy who, quite frankly, quarterbacks are a little afraid to throw at. And that is huge going into a game against USC and Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy frontrunner, who he'll throw at anybody. But now I think even a guy like Caleb Williams has to say, okay, there's number 20. That guy has five passes intercepted in the last three games. I at least have to be a little cautious throwing his direction, whether it's Mario Williams that's lined up next to him, uh, Jordan Addison, whoever it is. USC has all of these weapons, but even a guy like Caleb Williams has to say, hey, i got to be a little cautious going his direction. Talking Irish football with the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Tyler Horkin. Now let's look ahead to Saturday as we talk about this Irish secondary and Cam Hart is questionable with a shoulder, which is significant news. USC's pass efficiency offense, number six in the country, led by quarterback Caleb Williams. The Notre Dame pass efficiency defense has been dropping which is a good thing in the rankings. They are now number 31 in pass efficiency defense. Early in the week, how do you handicap the matchup between these two units? I mean, I think I have to be objective here and give USC the edge, but that's because it's pretty much got the edge against any secondary it goes against, right? It doesn't matter who USC lines up against. It's going to be able to throw the ball a little bit, and that's been – the case outside of maybe that anomaly that was the Oregon State game on September 24th, that's really the only game in which USC hasn't had its way in the passing game. But that's not to say Notre Dame won't be able to do some good things. I think Benjamin Morrison is, is more than ready as a true freshman to say, hey, I can go into this game and make a play. Maybe I can pick off a pass, and, and that'll be huge in a game that I think is going to be pretty close throughout. And, and again, you mentioned Cam Hart. You'd like to have your senior corner who started 11 games in 2021, pretty much started every game this year. He's played the most defensive snaps of any Notre Dame player, if that shows you how much Notre Dame relies on Cam Hart as a secondary player back there on the back end. You get Brandon Joseph back, it sounds like he's probable to play this weekend, so that's big. It's really a game where Notre Dame would like to have all hands on deck from its secondary. Because if you go all the way back to the Ohio State game, I think that's the last time that Notre Dame really played an offense that does it the way that USC does it. And you can make a case for North Carolina for sure. And that is also a good example because through, I don't know, 40 minutes, two and a half quarters of that game against North Carolina, I thought Notre Dame really flustered Drake May, was really physical, with the wide receivers, yeah, Josh Downs catches two touchdown passes, but he only goes for 32 yards, so you're able to corral him 
in that sense. And then against Ohio State, Notre Dame is leading that game 10-7 to in the third quarter. And I don't know how much something that happened on September 3rd matters now, but, I mean, Ohio State, kind of like USC, they've been able to throw the ball against pretty much everybody this season. Ohio State's one anomaly being a windy, windy day in Evanston against Northwestern. But you've seen Notre Dame do some good things against really good quarterbacks and really good wide receivers. And I think that has to at least have you feeling a little better about the proposition. It's not going to be easy, but Notre Dame has the tools to maybe slow down an offense that likes to do what it does in USC, and that's throwing the ball. I like the question you asked to Marcus Freeman today, and it brought together what happened in game planning for Ohio State, the first game of the year, and that was, I think it's fair to say, and I'm not putting words in Marcus Freeman's mouth, but Notre Dame did not want the Ohio State offense on the field a lot because I don't think they felt like they could score with them, and I think that was a good way of looking at it, so they wanted to run the football early and often, and you know what? They kept it close. They had a chance to beat Ohio State. They were ahead late in the third quarter, ultimately lost 21-10, but they really didn't attack consistently throughout that game. Based on what has now happened between Ohio State and B.C., do you think Notre Dame goes into the USC game? And also, I think we can say USC's defense is not nearly as good as Ohio State's. Do you think Notre Dame can afford to be more aggressive on offense, feeling like they can score with USC? Yes, absolutely. And, and that last qualifier that you made is the difference. And Notre Dame goes into this game thinking, okay, we know USC is really good offensively. That is a huge part of this. But – Notre Dame or USC is so bad defensively that I don't think Notre Dame has to adjust its offensive game plan to kind of fl- not, not flip the script, but, but kind of control the narrative and the game flow and, and the way that it was going to be played. Because that's what Notre Dame did against Ohio State. And that was a really big reason for why that game ended up only being 21 to 10. When every other Ohio State game you look at, you, you look at the one against Maryland this past weekend that the points is points for both teams are approaching the the 40s and that that's a lot to be to be proud of if you're Maryland because like you said I think Ohio State has a pretty good defense for Notre Dame playing USC it's we can do everything that we've been doing on offense for the last two and a half months with Drew Pine in that okay number one it's going to be run the ball and I think USC is very bad at stopping the run. They don't have the dudes up front that maybe an Ohio State has. And number two, it's, all right, we look at USC, and we have to be a little cautious because last I checked, USC, they might still be leading the country in passes intercepted. I know they're number one in turnover differential. Fifteen now. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. But still, if you watch the UCLA game this past weekend with USC, okay, yeah, the UCLA quarterback had three passes picked off, but he also threw four touchdowns, and he threw for a lot of yards in that game. UCLA ran for a lot of yards in that game. So at the end of the day, this for Notre Dame will be about just doing enough to slow down Caleb Williams, and I think they can. I think they can get off the field a couple times, and I even think they can turn over a USC team that is very hard to turn over. And then on offense, it's, it's full systems go. It's let's run the ball. Like Marcus Freeman was saying after the Boston College game, it's USC wants to try to sell out to stop the run. Let's try to make them pay in the passing game because I think Drew Pine can do that against this team. Find Michael Mayer. Find you know somebody else downfield. We've seen Deion Colsey make a couple big catches downfield. 
I think Jaden Thomas can get involved in this game. So it, it is not it does not have the same feel as that Ohio State game did in the sense that we have to do everything we can to try to slow this game down because if we don't, they're just going to beat us in a track meet. You know, I think from the outside looking in and outside, meaning people who just casually or every once in a while see Notre Dame football, when you look at the quarterbacks in this game, Caleb Williams, who's probably going to be a Heisman finalist and might propel himself to the trophy if he has a great game against Notre Dame. And then you've got Drew Pine, who's basically over the last five, six games, a 50% thrower of the football. It seems like it's a mismatch. It seems like USC should win this game. But, Tyler, to me, football games are won in the trenches, and I sure would not trade Notre Dame's offensive or defensive line for USC's. And to me, that is the avenue to an Irish victory. Absolutely. I got bit by this. Uh, Again, I talked about North Carolina a little bit early on. I picked North Carolina to win that game, especially at home, especially knowing what we knew about Notre Dame at that time. I mean, Notre Dame just beat Cal by a touchdown, and they had lost its first two games. It was a one-and-two football team on the road. And going into that game, I said, okay, if you're going to look at this point spread and it's a toss-up, give me the better quarterback because Drake May is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He's top five right now, and next year we might be talking about him for a Heisman and North Carolina could go eight and four and he might put up numbers that are Heisman worthy, kind of like a Lamar Jackson. But going into this game, absolutely. You, you still win in the trenches and the Notre Dame offensive line has gotten better and better and better every week. You have two tackles who every time you look at the pro football focus grades, Joe Alt, Blake Fisher, top five. I mean, Joe Alt, top one, two or three every single week. He, he's amazing. He's phenomenal. He might be the best tackle in college football. Blake Fisher is playing his way into being one of the elite. You have two graduate student guards in Jarrett Patterson and Josh Slug who just do everything the right way. They're great leaders. They make great plays, great blocks every single Saturday. And Zeke Carell was just named uh, a player of the game against Boston College. And so obviously the coaching staff is noticing he's playing really well. I love that for Notre Dame going into this game, especially against the defensive front for USC that, it doesn't really scare you. They still, and I mean, this was a problem of Lincoln Riley's at Oklahoma too. They didn't have those guys in the trenches that really scared you. Yeah, skill players galore, but when they went up against the teams in the college football playoff and some of those elite teams, you saw them get boat raced against the likes of Alabama, LSU. Uh, I, I think they got blown out by Clemson when, when Baker Mayfield was there in the college football playoff. So I'm not saying Notre Dame is a college football playoff team because obviously they're not. They're eight and three this season, but they've got college football playoff personnel and they're starting to play a whole lot better and that bodes really well for the going into this game okay let me ask you kind of a a fun question again tyler horka from blue and gold illustrated my guest this is looking down the road and i don't mean to bypass the usc game because it's a massive game for usc and a very important game for the irish But today we got an interesting piece of news that tyler buckner the starting quarterback the first two games and had to go through left shoulder surgery, non-throwing shoulder surgery, that it is not out of the question yet that he might be able to play in a bowl game. Now, there's no guarantee, but if he's healthy, the Irish will use him in their bowl game. And I joked earlier, boy, I can just see the 
the conversations that'll occur in December around the bar or the barber shop, whatever the case may be. Well, who should be the starting quarterback for Notre Dame in the bowl game? Some people say, well, you don't lose your starting job because you get injured. Yep. Not every coach looks at things that way. Just for fun, off the top of your head, what comes to mind if that conversation was brought up to you? You start Drew Pine, and you start Drew Pine because circumstances change throughout a season. As soon as September 11th, the day after the loss to Marshall hit, Drew Pine was the starting quarterback of this team. And, and when you have a guy that is having so shoulder surgery like Tyler Buckner was, you just assume that's it. That's it for the year. And then all of a sudden you get to the end of the year and you're like, hey, you know, there's a month between the USC game and the prospective bowl game. And, and it's already been two months before that. This guy might be able to actually play. But so much has gone into what Notre Dame tries to do with Drew Pine on offense that it's his season. And look, love him or hate him, there's a lot that fall into the latter category there. He's 8-1. and one. He's done maybe not everything that Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame has asked him to do, but he's done a lot. There are games this year that Notre Dame won because of Drew Pine. I would say he had a huge hand in North Carolina. I mean, Notre Dame threw for as many yards as they ran for, but he was really good in that game. He was really good against BYU. He was really good in the second half against California. He was really good in the first half against Navy, and Notre Dame doesn't win without all five of his touchdowns. So he's done enough this year to earn the right to start this game against USC on Saturday and definitely the bowl game. Now, getting back to Tyler Buckner, I think it would be very wise if he's completely healthy now. That, yes. that is the qualifier here. He, he has to be 100% healthy because you don't want him taking a hit. That would be a disastrous situation. PR nightmare for Notre Dame if he gets re-injured in that game. But, look, you have a chance to do what you didn't do in the Fiesta Bowl, which I thought it was malpractice. It was, it was complete uh, misusage of personnel in the Fiesta Bowl to not put Tyler Buckner in there when the second, in the second half the offense led by Jack Cohn completely stalled. It, it was doing nothing that it was in the first half. And you had a guy all year that you used in situations like that to be your spark plug. Notre Dame doesn't beat Toledo without Tyler Buckner. It doesn't, maybe doesn't beat Purdue as well as it did without Tyler Buckner. All these games where you use Tyler Buckner as that running quarterback element that you don't have with Drew Pine outside of his scrambles, if that happens in a bowl game, I don't care who you're playing, and you have Tyler Buckner healthy, you use him because he has proven that he can help you win football games in that capacity, regardless of what happened against Ohio State and Marshall. So I think it does make it really interesting. Marcus Freeman's comments today saying that there is a chance that he's healthy and he plays. If I'm Marcus Freeman and I'm Tommy Reese, I get him ready in that capacity because that could be the difference between winning or losing a bowl game. I thought it could have been the difference between winning and losing against Oklahoma State a year ago in Phoenix. Well, this show is sponsored by Budweiser, so I'm going to go and bring up a, a devil's advocate thought. And you know, maybe I've had a, a couple of, of brews and we're having this conversation. And Tyler, <laughs> I know who Drew Pine is. I don't need to see him anymore. I need to learn about Tyler yeah. Buckner because yeah. I still don't know who he is. And if we're not going to bring in a, a transfer, then I need to see more of Tyler Buckner because the coaches need to learn more about him. I think there is sure. something to be said with that argument. Yeah, absolutely, and that, and that's what's going to make it so interesting. But, I, I mean, again, you prefaced the, the whole question with uh, we still have to see Notre Dame play this game against USC, and this yep. whole game is a month down the line. But now, now 
be the devil's advocate there and say that does happen. Notre Dame says, well, this was our guy who won the offseason quarterback competition. He's 100% healthy. He doesn't lose his job to an injury. We're going to start him. And Notre Dame just lays a complete egg. And especially on offense, it doesn't look very good. That is also a PR nightmare. So this is a slippery slope for, for Notre Dame. There's, there's really only a couple situations where you play Tyler Buckner and you look like a genius. And that's if he hmm. starts and he's, and he's the guy that you thought he was going to be on August 31st when you're going into the Ohio State game. He said, yeah, we're riding TB12 throughout the whole season. Or if you do what I do, and, and like you said, Drew Pine – plays pretty well, but then he has those stretches where it's like, oh, my goodness, this guy should not be starting at Notre Dame. Then you put in Tyler Buckner, you look like a genius if it pays <laughs> off. So, it, it, hey, it's going to be a fun December if this is what we're talking about uh, over a couple beers and getting our hair cut, right? That's right. <laughs> you got that right. Hey, Tyler, tell our listeners some of the content they'll find right now at blueandgold.com. Yeah, I think my coworker Patrick Engel, who will be in L.A. with me this weekend at the Coliseum watching that game, did a phenomenal job with his rewatch. If you want to know how Notre Dame ran for 281 yards, which was very surprising to Marcus Freeman if you saw his post-game press conference, Patrick laid, laid it out for you there at blueandgold.com. And we've had great coverage of Marcus Freeman's press conference today, which, I mean, we, we talked about – a couple of the things that he brought up in that. I thought it was a very interesting press conference. We covered that very well. And then throughout the week, obviously, Darren, you mentioned this is a huge game. We have a lot of preview content for it, and there's no better place to get ready for a game of this magnitude than blueandgold.com covering Notre Dame football like nobody else. I'll say there's a 30% chance that you will start game day sports beat on Saturday at 4 Eastern time, live from the press box. We're dealing with L.A. traffic in the afternoon. I have a feeling you're going to be starting in the rental car. Yeah, 405 is uh, calling my name, probably, <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately. I did an internship out there in 2017, and I spent a lot of time on the 405. So it'll be a bit of a reunion for me. Tyler, thank you so much for your time. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and we'll talk to you on Saturday. All right, Darren, you too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Tyler will join me, hopefully from the L.A. Coliseum at the start of game day sports beat powered by Michelob Ultra. That is Saturday from 4 until 6.30 right here on WSBT Radio. Your time is 5.54. More coverage of the Irish football team, the win over B.C., and looking ahead to the Trojans. All on the way from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My husband and I had a sleep divorce. My snoring was so loud, it forced him onto the living room couch. I loved Advent. The procedure was only about 20 minutes. I am not snoring anymore. This is Dr. Theodore Stevens, Superintendent of School City of Mishawaka. I am grateful and excited to be back in Mishawaka, remaining focused on a